Hello and welcome to Series 3 of the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast. I'm Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature and host of this podcast, and I'm the author of the book Leading Through Uncertainty. In this series, I ask leaders to share their stories of uncertainty, the challenges they've faced and overcome, and what we can learn from their experiences. Anita Bala OBE is a leading figure in Birmingham where she holds a number of key roles, including Chair of the Birmingham Symphony and Town Hall and Head of the West Midlands Combined Authority Leadership Commission. Anita talks about setting up an Asian women's refuge in Leicester, her extensive career as a broadcaster for the BBC and the role of the Leadership Commission in engaging business in being more inclusive to lead social change in the region. Hi Anita, thanks for joining me today. Hello, hi. Um, For the benefit of the viewers, can you tell us who you are and what you do, please? Okay, my name's Anita Bala. Um, Currently I'm Chair of Town Hall Symphony Hall Performances Birmingham Limited. I'm uh, I'm a director on the Greater Birmingham Solia LEP. I'm a non-exec on the Clinical Commissioning Group. I chair an arts organisation in London. So I do, do, uh, since I left the BBC, do kind of volunteering uh, role, but a portfolio career. Yeah. Well, I feel slightly in awe of interviewing somebody from the BBC. It feels like it, oh. should, it should be the other way around. But that thank, was then. <laughs> but thank you, for, thank you for joining me and talking about leading through uncertainty. Um, what's, what's your experience of leading through uncertainty? I'm sure there's vast oh. experience with all the things you do. You know, I've had so many times, um, I mean, we're in uncertain times at the moment, but throughout mm. my life, and actually throughout my career, there have been really some uncertain times and politically uncomfortable times. And I mean political with a small p. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 thinking back, reflecting back, one of my earliest jobs before I joined the BBC uh, was uh, as a community relations officer in, in Leicester. And I suddenly found I was charged with working with um, African-Caribbean young people and Asian women. And I found myself having a lot of Asian women and young girls and women coming to me um, because of domestic violence or because they were being forced into marriages and uh, and for them it was a very uncertain time for me it was uncertain times because I didn't know how to handle this Mm. I was getting them coming to me and we set up one of the first Asian women's hostels in Leicester there were there were some hostels there was a hostel in 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 London Um, but it caused such a lot of controversy Um, I was uncertain about where how we did this anyway because I was only you know a very young thing Um, but it was also um, a difficult time because, on the one hand, it became such a, a, a talking point. The BBC nationally, Brass Tax, made a programme about it called Fathers and Daughters. Um, and then locally, regionally, the press were picking it up. Mm. And because of the publicity, I had the National Front smash our offices. Wow. And then almost the same night, Asian men with placards demand that I be sacked for daring to set up this hostel. Wow. So they were really, really yeah. uncertain times. But I suppose what um, the reason I survived those uncertain times was because I, not just for me, but for the women I was working with, I was convinced it was the right thing to mm. do. Mm. And when you are convinced it's the right thing to do, um, and this is not about having the moral high ground, mm. but but socially the right thing to do at a time when nobody else was really doing it. Um, and then also in those uncertain times, finding people you can talk to and have support. I. I didn't do this single-handedly. I, I shared a house with, with a, a woman who was really supportive. Um, I had a chair of, of the Community Relations Council. She was very supportive. Um, so it's about getting people around you how, who have similar thoughts and mm. ideas. Yeah, and what, what 
strikes me when you speak is that two things. One is that um, you have support around you, which I think is really important when you're going through uncertainty and you're, you know, because it is emotionally exhausting sometimes, uncertainty. Um, But also having that vision and that passion and that sense of purpose do you think it having a having a, a passion and a sense of purpose makes it easier to cope with the knock the um, knockbacks? Absolutely. I mean, thinking uh, there are lots of times when I've been in those uncertain situations throughout my life, and having um, a, a, a sense of belief in 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 what you're doing, mm-hmm. uh, a, a purpose uh, without being arrogant, mm. but, but a, a really thinking I have a there's a purpose here. There's a reason mm. why I'm not I'm, why I'm doing this. Not because. Um, it's good for my ego or, or it's mm. going to get me something because it, it's not about getting something. And I, and I It's th- about being of service, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that came from me, comes to me or from my parents. Um, my parents were immigrants to Birmingham and my father uh, worked in a factory. My mom was one of the first Asian women to work on the factory floor at Cadbury's. I remember our house was always full of because my dad could read and write English of either the local politician or others coming to him to have forms filled because the factory he worked in had a horrible health and safety record and people were literally dying because of that and there was always a sense of purpose in what he was doing he was like Mm. the Pied Piper Mm. he always had lots of people around him so in our very tight very sort of small house in Selly Oak all this activity was going, going going on. And I kind of grew up with that, about sharing. We didn't have a lot, but we shared. And there was always a sense of purpose. And I don't think I've ever forgotten that. Mm. And it's interesting because, you know, we talk a lot about sharing and collaboration now, but very few people actually really understand what that means or how to do it. What I'm hearing is you grew up with with that and, and it almost um, sent you in the direction... Mm. Yeah. of setting up your career in that respect, didn't it? It, it did. I mean, when I uh, joined the BBC, uh, I was a presenter. I uh, I was out of this brass tacks film. Isn't it funny how things happen? From the hostel, I was offered a presenting radio job, and I said I won't do it yet, but I did pick it up later on. So I started presenting locally here in Birmingham, and before I knew it, Channel 4 offered me a television presenting job on a programme called Eastern Eye. It was the first English-language-speaking programme that was targeting younger Asian people. So, and then from that... And that would have been quite out there at time. Oh, it was very out there. Yeah. You know, and again, here's here's an interesting thought, because not not on that programme, but I did a little bit for the BBC's television programme, which is called Nose in the Inner Jivan, which was a bit more sort of old-fashioned. But when I started presenting that, uh, not in Hindi or Urdu, but in English, and not wearing a sari or a suit, but what I wanted to wear, and the letters the editors got then, in those days, was... Why is this woman presenting not speaking our language, our language? Wow. Why is this woman not wearing Indian or Pakistani clothes? So, you know, I kind of, I, I, I do what I do and I am who I am. I'm a Birmingham girl and that's, that's oh, I, you know, that's who I am. I, You're a boundary pusher. <laughs> I, well, I never thought about it that way. Well, no, but I think, you know, what, what I'm hearing is that you see, you have a, a vision and then you go for it mm, yeah um, uh, when I became chair of Midlands Arts Centre um, we had um, the building was crumbling we had a deficit etc um, and we had a, a, a great team but we we collectively as, as a board and and the team had to push through because we had a vision that that place needed 
to be sustainable and fit for purpose for the next 40, 50 years. Mm. And it took us a long time to raise the funds for it, but we, we got there in the end. And it was it was really tough time and time again because we were knocked in the city centre, we were being knocked back. So resilience is important. And when you do get those knockbacks, you have to kind of pick yourself up, up and go. When I joined the BBC and I was suddenly, uh, from being a, a presenter who came in in the evenings, did a programme and, and went home and nobody really took any interest in us, except when the BBC had to save its medium wave frequency. So they suddenly thought, oh, let's put Asian programmes on this. And I was given a six-month contract. I took a six-month career break from my lecturing job and went there and um, stayed for 26 years in the end. But, but it, uh, suddenly, from having four hours of Asian programming, we needed to develop it into a, a big service every evening. So I literally picked people off the streets and trained them as reporters and presenters. And, and, and then I had to find a strand to, to, to make sure it was representing, this is in the 80s, representing all of our communities, Hindus, Muslim Sikhs and young people. How do you balance all that out? And again, there was a lot of aggro. So some people were saying, you know, you can't give a program to the Bangladeshi community. You can't give a program to, to the, to the uh, Sikh community or this community or that community or young people. And it's about saying, no, we have a vision here, which is mm. about representing everybody who will stick to it. And I remember um, my boss then at the WM, who's no longer with us, um, he, was being, he had a lobby of people come from the Asian community saying that they didn't have any confidence in me as, 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 as the editor because I, I was, wasn't giving their community, particular community, enough voice. And as they started this conversation, he just stood up and said, You've just insulted one of my most ex one of my most experienced and respected producers. End of conversation. I walked out of the room. Mm. So you know, it's finding your friends and getting that backing that's really important. Yeah, having those supporters is so important, isn't mm. it? And uncertainty, because I think you know sometimes when we're in uncertainty, we just think nothing is certain and nothing is clear. Yeah. Um, and yet, even when you've got a vision, it feels like it's chaotic in the way that, yeah. that you execute it. What I'm hearing from you is that you're, you're not just a visionary, you're clearly a visionary, but you're somebody that executes the vision as well, because I think otherwise the vision is just a nice fluffy dream, isn't it? And I, I'm, I'm a doer. Mm. Um, I like action. So, um, you know, I have some great ideas, but they're no good unless they're acted upon. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, in everything I do, I hope I, I, I action things. So I've, I've done a lot of that at the left, for example. We've taken the creative industries and put them in a different position and placed them at the heart of one of our economic growth areas in this city. And, and what's going on in the Birmingham Solio left is tremendous. When I took over as a chair of the board at uh, Sydney Hall Town Hall just three years ago, I was quite adamant that we needed to rebuild the front of the organization, make ourselves, we're a music charity, but we had uh, public funds are running out, so we had to make ourselves sustainable. The only way to do that is to create more space that we can rent out, to cover, reach out to our audiences, to create an entrance that is just ours, so you walk into a music venue, and to also create opportunities for young people. You know, we're a diverse, young city and region, and we need to reflect that. Mm. So I've got the bit between my teeth on that one and uh, if you go outside symphony hall you'll see i've the seen it yes i walk past creating. it every day and it's it's wonderful to see it developing over time and so. there have been challenges there so so you start when you started when i started and, and the team started that journey it was about talking to people convincing them mm. that our vision was a vision for the city and the region and nationally and it wasn't about some you know crazy idea about uh, fluffing up our own egos, but actually there are 
outcomes to that. And the reason for doing it is because as charities, we need to find ways of making ourselves sustainable. Yeah. And particularly as arts charities, you know, finding it really, really difficult. And making them relevant to the whole population yeah. of the city as well. And that's not an easy task, is it? You've picked on one of my most important words. That's relevance. Okay. Now, I think um, if you're not relevant, you know, why are we here? Mm. So everything we do has to be relevant. I think listening, having a vision and being relevant is really, really important. So when Andy Street, when he became mayor, asked me to chair the Leadership Commission, because he said to me, I look around this city and region and we've got such a diverse population, but they're not represented on our boards and at very senior level. Mm. And would I chair a commission to see, you know, probe into this? And I said to Andy, yes, I, I would chair a commission, but you had to find, let me find my own commissioners. And I also set a bit of our own brief because I wanted to know where are also the white working class boys? Mm. Where's the LGBT community? It is not about a race. It's not just about colour or gender. No. Um, and disability, we're terrible at disability in this mm. city and region. Yeah. So Andy said, yes, of course. But then the other thing when we got our team together was we had to take a two pronged approach, a heart and minds approach. The heart approach was, well, we need to be um, listening. We need to go out and have focus groups and listen to people. So listening is really important. And then the minds approach was, well, nobody will take our commission seriously unless we had some data. And it was fantastic, the support we got from the universities, uh, particularly Birmingham, and, and how they put a team behind the commission to work mm -hmm. with us. And from that, there's a whole lot of work coming out about leadership. But it has been collaborative, and it has been right from the start, setting our parameters. And it was uncertain. Mm -hmm. We didn't know where the journey was going to take us. We, we kind of knew, because some of us have been there, um, that the focus groups will tell us this. And they actually did tell us that, but a lot more, saying, mm. we, the folks groups said to us, we don't need data. We know, we live in these uncertain times. We know what it's like in Tipton or in Hansworth or in Sparkbrook, where we live, about the realities of living with mm. uh, poor housing, unemployment, all the social issues. And for some of the women still uh, trapped, and I will mm -hmm. use that word, trapped in, yeah. their, in their homes or in their communities, um, we know what the realities are, so don't don't give us more data. Do something about it, mm. uh, and that's what we did. We said to the commission, um, the findings back to to the combined authority. Don't give us, uh, don't let this sit on shelves. There's some action points here. Mm. Yeah, the the uh, West, the combined authority youth parliament has just been set up, which is one of our actions. Great. So fewer actions. But that are doable, yeah. which is the whole of the pledge of the, from the leadership commission mm -hmm. for every organisation, rather than say, oh, we'll do all of this and then never achieve anything. So, what's the what's the main vision then of the of the leadership commission? Um, the, the the vision is to shift the dial so that we well not we but 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 the businesses uh, uh, become relevant to the communities the businesses uh, listen and go out into those communities uh, businesses start uh, recruiting uh, and developing people not in their own image mm -hmm. uh, but in 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 what's around us you know changing their, their mm -hmm. images mm -hmm. they need to listen more uh, they need to think about putting priorities in but 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 don't just do it as a policy and don't just think it's a HR issue. Mm -hmm. Leadership 
developing leaders is not about a HR issue. No. It is much more than it's not a policy. You know, I did all that in my days as a community relations officer and the BBC when we were just all into having lovely, lovely policies and saying, saying, oh, HR will deal with with any issues around equalities. And in those days, you know. Gender was a big issue mm. in the BBC mm. as, as much as it is now, but, yeah. but you know, big and basic in, the, mm. in those days. Um, so it, it's it's getting uh, uh, take, getting businesses to take ownership, yeah. private and public sector, and it's um, about living and breathing, living and breathing, and, and, and small steps. Yeah. Don't, don't say you don't promise us the earth mm. because that's what's been happening to a lot of our communities. They've been promised the earth for too long, and nothing. Has happened. Do you think that's because businesses feel ashamed that they're not engaging no. the, the the spectrum of the community, and therefore there's this sense of wanting to almost cover their tracks and say, "Oh no, we are doing this, well, or we will do." Or they, they may feel that uh, some of them may just may just feel that they don't have the tools to do it. Mm. Um, but some of them are also got corporate pressure from from. The corporate headquarters in London or yeah. wherever, or uh, America or wherever. Exactly. Yeah. So it, you know, it's 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 finding the right voices within the organisation, mm. and you know, we have found some really good voices in the region in those corporate um, uh, bodies that that are taking it it seriously, mm. but not enough and not quickly enough. I mean, disability was so stark as as an area that we as a city and region need to do so much more on. Mm. Um, and, and, and all the other areas, but disability is so stark. So we've got to start from somewhere. What's been your biggest challenge in your career? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I know you've had hundreds, but... <laughs> um, I think sometimes um, I walk into a room, and maybe it doesn't happen so much now because I'm bigger and dirtier and all the rest of it, <laughs> But being dismissed as a young thing and a young Asian woman, and 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 I think when you kind of look young and you you know you 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 dress as as, as I do, I don't you know I I I'm, I don't look shy, and uh, it's being taken seriously. Mm. And and I think a lot of times, whether it's in the BBC or when I've gone out in my charitable jobs or I've gone to talk, um, it is people see a woman see a woman who's maybe dressed in a certain way and the, the 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 kind of the message gets lost so if i could deliver what i do behind a bird or behind closed doors uh, maybe people would would listen to you more but i think as i get older uh, i am being listened to a lot more and i and i think that people need to be listening to whoever walks through that door and I think um, for women it's a particular issue mm. it is a gender and you, issue and do you think it is worse as a as an Asian woman as well yeah yeah, yeah absolutely um uh, there are there have been oh gosh some stories I could tell you which are probably won't because it might implicate people but you know uh, at a very this was in the BBC you know uh, 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 when um the chairman kind of dismissed me, thought I was the wife of somebody mm -hmm. else. And I had to point out to him, no, actually, this is a long time ago, so yeah. present chairs, don't get worried. Yeah. That no, actually, I was one of your correspondents. Mm. Um, and it, you know, uh, I, I remember interviewing um, uh, Home Secretary some, some years ago and going into, uh, a, 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 into a room where I was interviewing him for the politics programme. And he walked into the room and went straight for the cameraman and said, what would you like me to do? The cameraman turned around and said, she's the boss, so you need to talk to her. Uh, when I was, you know, 
running a radio station for a while and and again a mm. politician walks into a room and mm. it's not me they they think mm. is the manager managing editor the boss there it's somebody else mm. so you know and that still carries it still happens i think it does i think it takes several generations to change that doesn't it i mean my my um background was i worked for ibm and you know it is predominantly a male yes. dominated and still is and you know back in the 1990s when i joined ibm people would openly say, and they, they wouldn't get away with it now, but they would openly then say, you'll never have a career because you're a woman. Yeah. And I was one of, a, you know, I could count on one hand how many women there were in an office of 1,500 men. Um, so and, and the weird thing was, I didn't think it was odd because I didn't know anything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm just curious about what, who, are you, who are your role models or who were your role models? Because I know in the 1990s I looked and the only visible leader I saw was Margaret Thatcher and you know regardless of what anybody's politics are she wasn't a role model for me um, because her way was not my style and I I don't think I ever had a political role model or any role model well my role model I I think my role model has always been my mum interestingly uh, not because she she you know addressed these big meetings etc but because um, of her she was solid. She did a really difficult job at Cadbury's. She brought up six children and she worked hard to cook our meals before she went out to work, came back, and then she still found time to engage, time to, 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 to be very strict with us, mm. to, to, to make sure that we, we were focused and did things. So I, I, I think that was great. I mean, over... The, the, the decades I've always had women who who I've worked very closely with um, and you know be unfair to name any one of them but I've I suppose I'm a, I'm a woman's woman I've always worked very very closely with women collaborators mm. so I'm very thankful that I've had some amazing people to collaborate with um, at every stage of my life starting mm. from my mom in my home um, um, my my friend, uh, one of my best friends at school, Rebecca, and her mom. Her mom was my role model as well, because Iris gave me a lot of um, confidence. Um, she worked uh, in Cadbury's in the offices. My mom was in the factory, so you know Iris was a different role model, and and she's now in her nineties and still a a good friend. So I still have 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 oh, that. So nice. that's where um, it, it came 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 from. Um, I can't. I can't remember having um, a strong role model in school mm. um, a, a, as a teacher. But there were lots of teachers who I thought uh, were good, and, and 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 you know, the arts teacher, for example, encouraged me. But you know, my school kind of dismissed me. They thought I should have the careers advice I got was um, go and be a traffic warden or a nurse. Mm. So mm. <laughs> mm, not quite what I wanted to do. No. <laughs> Well, definitely not with the vision that you've now got. Um, what what keeps you awake at night, Anita? Oh, lack of pros, the speed of progress. Mm. You know, the stones in my shoes are about... I'll give you a real example last week. Um, I did a story literally decades ago in the very early 80s and it was a, it was a documentary for um, ITV and it was called Women Hold a Path the Sky and it was about East Birmingham why we're getting more deaths children in infant mortality it was linked to some close cousin marriages it was very very um, a difficult topic but also linked to lack of counseling and genetic counseling in in, in that area 
when I last time I, I was a correspondent actually broadcasting I did a, a similar that story again but how things had progressed a little and how the mosques were taking ownership and having real conversations I was so disheartened to see news and I do the same story last week or the week before mm -hmm. that those children are still dying infant mortality rates haven't changed in in parts of Birmingham and that lack of progress keeps me awake it keeps me awake to say well what's happening and 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 then on forced marriages I was doing that in those days yeah. and three four decades on we're we still haven't changed we're still talking about the same issues and it's interesting isn't it because people talk about the pace of changes so much faster than it was you know 20 30 years ago and yet on some of the crucial issues that we have in society yes almost nothing has changed absolutely so and the it's, other thing it's that... strange isn't it that we're still having these same conversations around disability and race and gender and 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 if you at a more personal level i suppose i kind of worry for my kids and grandkids coming up mm. or with the next mm. generations mm. so it's not just I worry about everybody else, but mm. I'm also worried about my my own family and the mm. journeys that might or might not happen. Mm. Um, so yeah, they 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 worry me. And and uh, what what do you think? Worrying what, doesn't really help. Well, no, it doesn't. <laughs> but it's easier said than done, isn't it? <laughs> um, what what do you think needs to happen to start really shifting the the pace of change around some of these agendas? I think um, ownership. We have got to think about ownership at every level. And you know, I I would love schools to take young people and take them through citizenship, take them through the value of arts, for example, take them through the value of being um, uh, uh, good citizens, but mm. about the value of action. So, you know, from a young age, we should be saying to, to teenagers in our schools, have you thought about volunteering to do this? Have you thought about volunteering? Have you thought about being on this board? I'm, I'm, I'm. If anybody uh, contacts me and they want a coffee and and they want to know how to get on a board, or when I was at the BBC, how do I become a correspondent? How do I become a presenter? I always make time to have coffee and a chat with somebody. Mm. There are not many people I will not meet, even mm. if it's only for 10, 15 minutes. Mm. That's important. I remember when I was High Sheriff of the West Midlands, uh, when I was asked to do that, I thought, you don't mean me. I'm not a rich white businessman uh, with a wife and a home. And, and, and they said, no, we do, because we want to change the model of how we do things. Mm. I went to a school in Tipton with all my finery, you know, I barrage uh, sword and hat, etc. When I got there, these 11-year-olds um, about to go to secondary school were having a, a conversation about drugs because in, in the streets you could see syringes etc mm -hmm. and they were doing a session with the police and uh, so I thought well I'm going to deconstruct myself I took off my finery and let the children feel and see me as you know without the finery as a real person as a real person yeah um, and then when I put it all back on the head teacher said oh we need to have a photograph taken and, and a little girl came to me and she rubbed my my hand and she said oh you like me and I said yeah like you she said do you like rotis and I said yeah I love rotis and and she said I want to be like you when I grow up. And the teacher said to me, that girl now normally never speaks. Wow. But she wants, so there's, you know, if you only make one mm. person mm. change their aspirations, mm. that's good enough. Yeah. If each of us who've got a job or got a home or have got something, make that one one contact, mm. just think of the impact we'd have. It's massive, isn't it? Mm. Um, what do you think businesses should be doing? Just that. Just that. <laughs> yeah, at an individual. You think it's that simple that it's I think just, some, some like if different. every person in 
Some of it in is... Birmingham or in the country or even worldwide were well, to it, reach out to one other person. It yeah, makes I, a difference. It, it will start making a difference. I mean, it, not in, in itself, but, but for businesses, for everyone who's got a, a job in business, there, there, there's a two-pronged attack, attach, attack, if you like. One is that individual. You know, if, if somebody wants to speak to you because they think they want to get into banking mm. and you happen to be a banker and have that conversation, but then you've got to think more strategically as well. So mm. it's not... Either or, I think you have mm. to do both. Mm. The strategic element has got to be there. You know, what does our business or our bank want to look like next decade? What do we as a business want to look like next year and the year after? And what are we doing to facilitate that that change? And and I think that it is about ownership. Every, if you're a manager at any level, you don't have to be the MD. Mm. You know, if you're managing five people on the ground, it's as important mm. for you to, to, to be working yeah. Uh, uh, to, to make that change so we can't just say you know it's somebody else's problem or issue or, mm. uh, or, or responsibility it's all our responsibilities yeah. Anita thank you so much for your thank time you. it was been it's been amazing to talk to you and and just feel your energy and your vision and your action um, I wish that everybody takes a piece of your wisdom and, and goes and acts on it so thank, thank you. you thank you Anita was inspired by her parents to have a vision, a sense of purpose and a support system in uncertainty. She pushes the boundaries for the sake of something important. She sees what needs to be done and then makes it happen. Does that create uncertainty? Of course, but Anita doesn't let that stop her because she knows that the vision she has is of major value. What's the value of your vision and what boundaries do you need to push to make a difference? That's it for this week. I was your host, Jude Jennison, and I hope you were as inspired as I was. Keep leading and come back soon for the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty. Mm-hmm.